0: Hello, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate, news, and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability impacting today's supply chains. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, or Google Playlist apps. This week, we are going back to safety, and we're speaking with lawyers at the firm, Alston and Bird, who focus on food safety. I talk with them about some of the trends coming out of the pandemic, going back into the pandemic, and how important traceability is in the whole scheme of things. So let's link into that conversation now. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I am here with Rachel Lowe, who is a partner at Aston, Alston and Bird, with and Sam Jockle, who is a senior associate there as well. And Today we are talking food safety. So hi, Rachel. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for coming on with me today.
1: Hey, great. We're happy to
0: be
2: here. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to get into some of the legalities in terms of food safety. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now with COVID changing the way we think about food and food safety, but there's a lot of other things going on as well. So I wanted to ask you, what are some trends happening in food safety right now and pre-COVID?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question, and especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, and thought maybe we could start by sort of laying the foundation for how we as lawyers think about food safety and its importance as we advise clients across the food supply chain from food manufacturers to distributors to retailers. Uh, So there's a few main considerations and the first is that when lawyers think about food safety we think about the regulatory aspect. So there's an entire regulatory scheme For those that manufacture, hold, pack, distribute food um, in terms of how they should um, comply with food safety requirements, having, quote, preventive controls in place to identify hazards, making sure that you're holding your manufacturing of food is in compliance with applicable good manufacturing practices. So there's a, a plethora of regulatory requirements that companies need to stay on top of and stepping back to in terms of food safety you know what are we talking about well there's a lot of different food safety hazards food allergens is a huge one Uh, pesticides other physical hazards that may potentially be in food like metal or glass and then biological hazards like E. coli or salmonella some of those that i've mentioned um undeclared allergens is a significant food safety problem and it makes up one of the top reasons why food recalls are initiated by food manufacturers so there's the a lot of risk in terms of food safety there's a lot of regulatory requirements Um, and the second beyond the sort of regulatory scheme and i'll I'll turn it to Rachel. We also think about the litigation risk that flows from a food safety concern, a food safety problem. So maybe Rachel.
1: Yeah. No, thanks, Sam. That was great. I think something to also keep in mind is that there's a real economic burden here, right? So there's the obvious regulatory requirements um, that Sam's really an expert on. There's the medical issues and in that realm. And then there's also just, you know, straight up economic concerns. I think that according to like a 2015 USDA article it's about a 15 point5 billion dollar economic burden from food safety issues every year so wow. that's something that companies care about to their bottom line right mm-hmm. And then of course litigation risk um, anytime there is you know recall or other consumer class actions um, you can you can be facing some press issues that you don't want to have to address or liability, um, sometimes that leads to shareholder derivative disputes, possible indemnity demands up and down your supply chain, right? If you're um, manufacturing private label goods, et cetera. Um, and, then, and then sometimes you have to get into it with your recall insurer. Um, that's an important component as well for, for food safety. So, so those are just some of the, the overall uh, concerns that companies have to deal with, um, mm-hmm. whether they're small or large. Yeah, I, I did an
0: episode one time on food waste and that was a huge thing was was food safety issues mm-hmm. and you know if if a a food falls out its required temperature range during the transportation, you know that's a huge problem, but technology is helping really focus in on, you know, that specific shipment that fell out instead of just having to, you know, throw out a whole big range of food because they don't know what what box or what exactly Mm -hmm. was really
2: affected. Exactly. And you're actually hitting on the key trend. So your question was about trends and you've identified it, which is traceability. Mm -hmm. Um, So from a regulatory perspective, the federal food drug, the federal food and drug administration, they've come out with this, what they call the new era of smarter food safety, where they basically have this blueprint of what they want food safety to look like in the future. And one of their main components of that new era of smarter food safety is tech-enabled traceability. How do we identify outbreaks? How do we quickly trace the origin of contaminated food? And some of your listeners may be well aware of the issues with leafy greens, with um, multiple outbreaks with romaine. Well, it has taken you know, FDA many, many months and, and sometimes years to finally publish an investigation report on some of those outbreaks, trying to link um, where that actual origin, the source of the um, the E. coli outbreak, was for leafy greens. So this is a very difficult science in terms of tracing, um, but ensuring throughout the supply chain. What that means in terms of what um, are you able to trace back? If you're a, a retailer or a food manufacturer, can you trace back to your your sources? And and this also goes with um, a consideration with COVID nineteen. The supply chain is very complex. So how are companies doing that with new technology to ensure that you know the soy product that they have in their finished food ingredient where where is that coming from? It could be multiple suppliers down the line. So you've identified the trend, and that's better traceability um, throughout the supply chains and investing in types of technologies and internal systems that can help trace in case of a foodborne illness outbreak to understand the origin, the source of that issue.
0: So I. I don't want to say we're coming to the end of the the pandemic, because when I wrote up these questions, we were, but now we're we're seeing a little bit of a, you know, return of the virus. But uh, how would you say that food safety has changed now that lockdown was lifted and people started coming back from a big pandemic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that anytime you see huge shifts in your supply chain, right, you need to make sure that your your verification procedures and things like that can accommodate that kind of flexibility, right? Because I think something that Sam touched on is we're seeing, you know, clients have to really open up their number of suppliers when they've got an ingredient in shortage or that was coming from a port that got, you know, shut down for whatever reason. Um, There's also just vastly increased shipping costs right now. We're seeing freight costs of up to five or eight X. Um, and so you've got that, you've got some decreasing supply of certain packaging and, and other ingredients. And so it's really shifting sands for some companies. Um, and when that happens, right, you can, you can have increased food safety gaps and holes, um, just because you're trying to figure out how to pivot, um, and how to pivot effectively. So I, I certainly don't think that companies are completely unaffected any longer by COVID-19. I think it's, they're still very much in the mix.
2: Mm-hmm. I'll give you one example. I heard someone from the food industry recently talk, and they're a manufacturer of baked goods, and flour is one of their key ingredients. And they're having difficulty sourcing flour, so they've had to search for new suppliers. So when you source um, from a new supplier that you don't really know and understand, um, you know, that's the, that's where potential food safety challenges come. There's Mm -hmm. a regulatory obligation to ensure that you're reviewing um, suppliers in terms of what their food safety protocols are. Have they had any regulatory FDA enforcement actions? So when you're shifting your supply chain and bringing on new ingredients, you know, who has the responsibility over food safety? Who is ensuring that there's proper oversight throughout the supply chain? Do you have that internal mechanism? And and that is that is key. As Rachel was explaining, a total mm-hmm. shifted supply chain with a lot of shortages and the need to have more, a more flexible supply chain in case, for example, malic acid. Your malic you have one malic acid supplier. They no longer can source that for you. Uh, so then you need to shift. And when you need to shift, there's some obligations there and some increased risk for food safety issues if you're not on top of it.
1: Yeah, there's and there's a couple like of litigation aspects right, that, that arise from this as well. And so you also have to be careful. And if you're shifting suppliers, right, not only make sure that you have your agreements all buttoned up, but Um, double check your packaging claims, right? Because some suppliers might have a different, you know, wiggle room or tolerance level for what's in that actual product. And you need to make sure that's consistent with your labeling claims on on pack. Um, So it's something that we definitely look at um, from a food safety perspective. Um, This is also a shameless plug for the National Bioengineered Food Disclosure Standard Compliance Date. It's something that Sam and I are keeping close tabs on. um, That's coming up in January. And um, again, it's the first time at a at a federal level, that it's required that bioengineered food ingredients are disclosed on product labels. So, you know, in addition, you know, when you're looking at your food safety issues, it, it makes sense for companies to um, to focus on the compliance with that new standard.
0: You know, obviously recalls are a huge deal like we mentioned before and recently a few a few weeks ago there was a big recall on shrimp and you know there's often recalls on on leafy greens and things like that from a legal perspective because i've covered this logistically and you know marketing wise and things like that but legally how do companies handle these issues
2: mm-hmm. and, and that's a good question and and generally you know, recalls are much more common than consumers know. Um, industry is constantly face, facing questions about whether they need to pull product from the market based on a consumer complaint or new information from one of their suppliers. Um, FDA has an enforcement report that lists weekly recalls. And I just checked in last week's enforcement report, there was 22 different food recalls. So this is a common... Um, a, occurrence and something that is important in terms of food safety, um, but something that faces industry um, throughout the supply chain. So, you know, from a legal perspective, how is this handled? Well, FDA has set out different recall classifications. A class one recall is when there is a reasonable probability of serious adverse health consequences or death versus like a class three recall where it's more of a technical violation. It's not likely to cause adverse health consequences. So the purpose of a recall is pulling product back um, And from a food safety um, consideration and from a legal perspective. The question is, you know, is there an evaluation being done to understand what the health hazard is? This uh, flows from Um, something that's in FDA regulations that sort of sets out how to conduct a health hazard. But questions like, questions that I would have if if there was a potential recall situation, has an injury already occurred? Are you having consumers complain that um, there are metal fragments in your baked good? What is the degree of seriousness? Um, Mm -hmm. Are we talking about E. coli? Are we talking about salmonella? Those are very serious pathogens. Uh, and what's the likelihood of occurrence? Um, and typically, um, you a, a company works internally and with external counsel and sometimes a, a technical uh, personnel like a toxicologist to understand what is the health hazard. Is this something that we need to pull, um, you know, throughout the all the way to the consumer level and notify FDA? So there is a um, a really close coordination working with state agencies and FDA to make these determinations. Some of these aren't as clear and it depends on the the actual issue. And working with FDA closely um, can help sort of sort that out and whether or not product needs to be pulled. And of course, um, coordinating across the supply chain once a recall is initiated. So from a legal perspective, you're evaluating the criteria that FDA sets out when it defines what a recall is. It's a product that violates um, laws and and regulations. And, And then, of course, beyond that, how to actually do it, working with your customers throughout the supply chain and notifying state agencies and FDA to make these determinations.
0: So how do companies handle making sure that they're complying with these federal and state safety regulations?
2: Right, so I think we've tried to outline how we think about it as lawyers in terms of food safety regulations. There is a lot to comply with. Um, and for that reason, there's a risk of regulatory enforcement, you know, FDA going after you, seizing products, FDA initiating a mandatory recall. Um, and as Rachel outlined, there's litigation risk too that flows from a foodborne illness outbreak. And, of course, the economic consequences, the brand perception, the consumer perception. So that is just to underscore the importance of ensuring compliance with applicable laws and regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have seen personally that most successful food companies put regulatory compliance at the center of, of their business because ensuring that ensuring compliance will drive... Um, business. And we've seen where you don't comply, um, it can put the business at risk.
1: Right. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, if if everyone is on board with it and there's a cultural culture of compliance, um, it makes a lot easier when you're working with the QA personnel and the manufacturing folks, as well as the marketing folks, if they're all on the same page as to look, this is what's going into the product. This is how we're going to make it. And this is what we're going to say about it. And it's all consistent and and makes sense and is you know driven by putting out a quality product that's compliant um it behooves everyone so i think you know in, in most companies that i've interacted with you know recently really are on board with um with the concept of compliance not just because of the risks involved but because it's how they want to run their business right they want to be known you know as as a brand that their consumers trust and trust. you know and and believe in for their families so um so i I'm, I'm encouraged and um, and happy with the trends that I've seen in terms of, you know, companies really focusing on making the time investment and the financial investment to, to be compliant.
0: What do you think is it's going to look like in the, in the future for food safety in general, you know, during post pandemic, like now that we're coming into a whole new world, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll let, I'll let Sam talk about some of the technology issues and I think he already has. Um, but, it, you know, there are, there's so much to think about, right? Because we're seeing shortages in products and in packaging. Um, there's gonna be climate change disruptions, right? And in, in crops and things like that. There's also going to be um, differing or increasing treatment of genetically or bioengineered ingredients. Um, so there's all these different, you know, if you're an international food company and you're dealing with one set of regulations in one foreign country, and then a different set here in the US, um, you're going to have to pivot and keep track of these different changes in laws. Um, A lot of companies are turning toward third party certifications, Mm -hmm. right. Um, And, and there's inherent risks. And then there's also inherent efficiencies involved in that. Um, So we'll see how that, that plays out um, in terms of, you know, what the real breadth is of companies using these, these third parties to do that kind of work. Um, but Sam, if you wanna if you wanna talk about technology, because frankly, blockchain is something I'm still I'm still working on understanding.
2: Right, and this goes back to the first question, which is the importance of technology, tech-enabled traceability. You know, there this is coming from FDA, as I explained, this new era of smarter food safety. Uh, Frank Giannis, he's the deputy commissioner for food policy and response at FDA. He's like the, one of the top. Food guys at FDA. He's recently said that the lack of better digital traceability is the key weakness in the food safety system mm-hmm. now. And I've already mentioned, you know, the Remain outbreak, it's taken the agencies some time to pinpoint what where the issue is coming from. But you know, what types of interconnected digital systems are we um, seeing that are going to be able to collect this data to analyze the data? So I think that's what we're that's what we're gonna see in the future. But you know, FDA is is driving some of this, but I think consumers are as well. Um, consumers are demanding more transparency with regards to, you know, ensuring that allergens are declared to, um, you know, not allowing um, big food companies or retail food chains to get off the hook if they have a significant E. coli or salmonella outbreak. So if you're getting you know, if you get a call from FDA saying that your 50 restaurant chain is having a salmonella outbreak because we have a number of consumers that are complaining about sickness, you need to figure out really quickly where that's coming from. Is it coming from, you know, protocols that you have in place um, at the actual store level, or is it coming from something that you're Um, getting supplied a a particular produce and ensuring that you figure that out very quickly uh, to stop any additional foodborne illnesses is is critical now and it will continue to be critical um, in the future. So I see this both from a a regulatory push, but also from what consumers are demanding from food companies and from food retailers.
0: Yeah, consumers also want to know where their food is coming from. So this yeah. traceability is huge on all fronts.
2: Mm-hmm. Great point.
0: Well, that's all I have time for today, but thank you guys so much for coming on and talking
1: with me. It was fun. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank it was you. great. Love, love
0: to hear about food safety. It's an important issue. And you know, you guys have a lot of knowledge surrounding that.
1: Yeah. Well, I, it's timely and important and you know, we're all consumers too. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and tune in every
0: Tuesday for our episodes of Link by a food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a thumbs up or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Brielle for more of what's happening in the supply chain. And do not forget to hit subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, and Google playlist apps so you never miss an episode.